We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. Memories have been made. Caliburn, a deep three for the lead. And baby! Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. Hits the three and the Wazzaro In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got paces hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All fast. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes. Weekly drops. This your number one podcast. Hooping every team. We gon' need a mop. Setting like pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast. The Indiana Pacers fall 129 to 124 to the Boston Celtics in a very tough battle here, Fachi. It was a fun game, pretty much the second half. The first half was not so fun, but Pacers made this a game, just couldn't pull it out in the end. No, they could not. First half, worrisome. You, you can't give up 81 points and expect to win, I guess, unless you're the Pacers and you had been 2-0 and when you've done that before, but... It's just not a winning recipe on a night like tonight. Tyrese's, you know, return you're on TNT. You hoped that the first half would have been better. Second half, a lot more fun, but nonetheless, the Pacers come up short against a very good Boston team. That is actually great at home. Only two losses at home. Really tough to beat Boston in Boston. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, both teams had injuries. The Boston Celtics were without Horford and Cornette. Indiana was without Matherin and McConnell and TJ, or excuse me, and Tyrese Halliburton made his return in this game, but was on a minutes restriction. And I think we need to start here just talking about this before we dive into the game. The Pacers go on this run, a 23-6 run to start the, the third quarter. 
Halliburton comes out of the game playing 22 minutes overall, and it's reported by Ali LaForce, the sideline reporter for TNT, that he will not return for the rest of the game. Now, look, we can debate, you know, whether or not there should have been more of a, a limit there in terms of like how many minutes they could have let him play, maybe more of a, a leeway there. But I, I'm not really concerned about the minute restriction, Fudge, because Carlisle said they were going to do that. And we saw that he played 35 the last time he came back and re-aggravated the injury. So didn't bother me that it was, you know, uh, a 22-minute restriction. What I was a little bit puzzled by was how the minutes came. It's like he played a really tough first half and then part of the third, and then they were just like, okay, we're done. And I thought maybe they could have spread those minutes out a little bit more. I think so, because there was a time that he came out in the first quarter and, and then he came back in before the first quarter was over. And it's just like, if you know 22 minutes is the max, you would think that you would sprinkle them out a little bit differently. Yeah. And I just felt that when he came out is when the Pacers had all that momentum. And they had really, they had erased, you know, more than a 20-point deficit. It might have been 22 points, anything of the sort. You know, they came all the way crawling back to take a lead. And, and it was, I remember, at least 94-93 being like, wow, oh my God, hey, Pacers, they have a real shot in this. It felt like when Halliburton came out, they still treaded water for a while. They were very much in the game, but not really being able to take the lead you know, 22 minutes, it's not a lot of minutes. Yeah, I think we can sit here and say, you know, what if it had been 26 minutes? Could that have made a difference? I don't know. Clearly, they had a plan that 22 was the number, and that's what they were going to stick with. I think selfishly, you know, as fans of the team, you say, well, maybe if the game is really close, could that change anything? That was obviously not the case because Indiana did make it very close at many different opportunities. But, hey, Having Tyrese back out there on national television against the Celtics is way better than not having him overall. Long-term, I'm positive this was the correct move. Short-term, yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow on a night where you could have won this game. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it from this standpoint, he played 16 minutes in the first half and six in the second. So one of those things where it looks like, okay, if he does play a normal second half, about 32 minutes feels about right. So maybe they're just trying to get him in, in rhythm of what he's going to play normally and then just didn't put him back in, in the second half. But they could have maybe gone like six minutes in the first quarter, five minutes in the second, you know, six in the third, five in the fourth, and kind of let him start and close both both halves. It could have made some sense. But if he feels like he needs to play longer to get into a rhythm, I kind of understand the whole reasoning for that. Obviously, Halliburton, the competitor, was not happy. But – like we said, you have to be careful with this just because of the fact he did re-aggravate it and had to miss four games after that. And there's a lot of money on the line here for Tyrese Halliburton. If he makes All-NBA, then he'll get a big paycheck. So this year, it definitely matters, I think, more so than anything else. But overall, I, I think that we should talk about Halliburton's game just quickly here. 22 minutes yeah. played, like we said. 5 of 16 from the field, 13 points, 10 assists, 3 rebounds. Definitely feel like he started getting into a groove once that second half started, but he Agreed. was rusty in the first half. There's no doubt about it. There is no doubt about it. The first quarter, he was one of five. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just looked like – it just didn't look like the the, the same Tyrese Halliburton. There was some rust. And and then you go to the second quarter. I mean, he ends the second quarter with some momentum, that 40-foot three-pointer. I mean, that no one was really expecting that. But, I mean, he was four of 14. Uh, in the first half with one of them being, you know, the, the three-point shot that was felt like a prayer. So it was tough in the in the first half for Halliburton, but still great to have him out there because he had five assists 
you know, by halftime, it was good. Ended the game with 13 and 10. But you were able to see, you know, this was not, this was also, you know, not the healthiest Halliburton. But you also want to give credit to Boston's defense. I mean, at the guard spots between Derek White and Drew Holiday, that is a pesky duo. And they made things tough for Halliburton. It just felt like, you know, they're forcing him into a bunch of threes in that first quarter. And overall, it was good to have him back, but we know this is not 100% healthy Halbert. No, and I thought Boston did a great job of attacking him on the defensive side of things too, really trying to get him involved in a lot of the pick and rolls, and the Pacers were kind of caught scrambling there when he was out there. And I felt like that's what helped Boston get off to such a great start was just continuously attacking Halliburton, which created the Pacers to be on a scramble mode or just allowed Boston to get open looks, you know. Boston, they're a tough team. Nobody is questioning that. I mean, they're 37 and 11 now. That's a great record. Top record in the NBA. Above 500. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why people are predicting them to win the NBA championship, uh, if not even that far, at least the Eastern Conference. A lot of people love this team and the way they've been assembled together. And you know what? It's, It's easy to see why. They can beat you from so many different ways. And they've got guys that can get hot, like you mentioned. Like, look at their starting five and how they just were able to put up so many baskets. Probably the most inefficient player was Porzingis for him, but still 17 points, 12 rebounds. You know, a a really decent game for him, and he was returning from injury as well. So I just felt like this was one of those games where I didn't really expect the Pacers to win. I thought they had a chance, but after the first half played out the way it did, and they were about to be down 20 points heading into the second, uh, into the third quarter, and then Halliburton, like you said, hit that heave, and they made a they made a stop and scored a basket before that. It was just like, okay, they got it to 15. Can they do anything to make this a game? And they did that in the third quarter by going on a 23 to six run. And one of the key adjustments I thought that they made was they switched Pascal Siakam to be to guarding Jason Tatum. Previously was guarding Jalen Brown, and they had Neesmith on Tatum. They switched those two up, and I really think that it affected both players uh, in a different way. But I just felt like Siakam did a much better job on Tatum than Neesmith did because he does have a little bit more size. No, he does have more size, and I think that it did help for the Pacers. I think a lot of the damage was unfortunately done in that first half, and it's something you can talk about. As great of a player as Tyrese Halliburton is, we had seen this Pacers team had been better, you know, defensively lately with, you know, Andrew Nemhard in that starting lineup, and I felt that the Pacers did play a better second half defensively Without Halliburton, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. But going back to your point before, uh, Siakam, I think, definitely did a better job. And, and that was great to see. And then for Aaron Neesmith, I mean, doing it on both ends. I thought Neesmith did everything he could defensively. Tough matchups. He's obviously given up size in this game to, you know, quite a few players. But offensively, you could just tell that Celtics revenge game always means a little bit more to him. And I thought offensively, he was fantastic. 26 points, 12 boards, Alex he did it again. A career high, seven assists. I was waiting for this that. time. I mean, he topped himself six. What's gotten into Aaron Neesmith lately that all of a sudden, you know, he's uh, you know, he's like a like, like a Magic Johnson. I know that's crazy, but I'm just saying this man's distributing the rock lately. It feels like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Neesmith really is just evolving as a as a pivotal player to this team. We already knew how important he was. But he continues to prove himself night in and night out. The shooting, unbelievable. 46% from three is what I think they said leads, like top five in the NBA in shooting with a 46% percentage. Like he's just knocking the ball in at a good rate. He took seven three pointers tonight, made four of them. 
It's like when he shoots the ball from outside, you feel like it's going in. He gives you everything he can on defense. Yeah, he's a little too aggressive sometimes. Gets caught, in, you know, with his hands in the cookie jar, things like that. But there's also some foul calls I feel like he just does not get the benefit of the doubt, especially when you're trying to guard great players like Tatum and Brown. It feels like they always give the offense the advantage when those two guys have the basketball. You know, rarely see an offensive foul called on them for, for creating a lot of the contact. Even, even Jalen Brown the one that they were originally calling on Pascal Siakam before the Pacers challenged it. You know, Brown jumped into Siakam and the officials were just like, yeah, it was a non-basketball movement that caused the contact. Uh, jump ball. How is that a jump ball? How is it not an offensive foul? He clearly went and reviewed it. So, but back to Neesmith. Neesmith to me, this is not a hot take. I just think he is a huge, huge part of this team. It might be one of the most important pieces to this team moving forward. Um, uh, I, I don't want to say he's like the most important because obviously it's Halliburton and Siakam, yes. but I think he's number three. I, I think that he is probably the third most important to this team and what they're trying to accomplish this year. Extremely important. And while you were just talking and making some great points, I had to double check. The 12 rebounds tonight was a career high as well. Oh man. Just a career I, night for Neesmith. Just, I mean, think about it. Yeah. I mean, this might've been, you could make an argument that he put together the best game that he's ever had, at least from, uh, you know, I don't know, stuffing the, the stat you know, standpoint, like it didn't need to be a career high in points, but 26 points, 12 boards, seven assists, a block, zero turnovers, 11 of 17. He was efficient. He's, he's, you know, has tough matchups defensively. Yeah. To your point. I mean, he very well could be the third most important player because you could say that if other players go out, the Pacers could, there's a handful of guys that could go out and the Pacers could still win games. Aaron Eastwith goes out. You don't feel good about it at all. I mean, if Aaron Neesmith, say you got Matherin playing this game and no Neesmith, the score is way different. You want Matherin out there, but if you don't have Neesmith out there, Boston, they already scored 129. I don't even want to think what they could have put up because this team was not missing. Alex, you had a great tweet. Let's, I'll just throw it out there. You know, you mentioned in the second quarter, Boston was 15 of 17 from the field. <laughs> I mean... It felt like they weren't missing. And then when I saw that in writing, I was like, okay, they're barely missing because it really felt like every shot was going in. First half, they shot 64% from the field. Mm -hmm. I believe it was about 57% from three. It just felt like even when the Pacers made it tough for Boston, they were still making shots. Yeah, I mean, some of the looks were open. There's no doubt about it. But some of these looks, I mean, you had a guy – with his hand in his face, and they were just hitting tough shots. I mean, I was just like, what in the world are you supposed to do? Like, Sam Hauser's hitting threes. Then you've got uh, you've got Jason Tatum just hitting step back after step back after step back over guys with a hand in their face, and it's just like dripping all over them. I'm like, what in the world is happening here? So, yeah, it's just one of those games where, where you're sitting here and you're watching it, and you're just like, hey, if we get beat by 40-some points tonight, I have no I have no worries about it because, like, there's nothing the Pacers could do defensively. Obviously – you want to get better defensively, but you talk about Matherin. If Matherin plays in this game, it's a totally different dynamic. Just I felt like the the bench missed a little bit of an offensive punch. They did. Obviously, Nimhart had 15 points in this game, but he played a lot of those minutes with the starters, especially with Tyrese yeah. out. Mm-hmm. I thought Toppin was pretty good off the bench tonight. Had a couple plays here and there where I didn't love it, but for the most part, I thought Toppin was pretty solid. Jalen Smith, this was a tough game for him, I felt like. Did not play his best. And then Ben Shepard... He got the rookie whistle a little bit here and there in this game. Uh, didn't really shoot the ball too well, but I loved his hustle. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. Reggie Miller pointed that out. To he like, loved it. Reggie yeah. loved it. 
Yeah, it was it was obviously apparent, but like having Mather in this game, to me, I'm not even worried about Neesmith playing 41 minutes. I'm more so worried about Buddy Hill playing 36. You know, Buddy Hill wasn't bad tonight. Yeah. No, but 36 but, minutes. Yeah. There's a lot of minutes for Buddy Hill. 36 minutes is a lot of minutes, and uh, man, I don't have the stat in front of me, but someone actually put out a, a really good stat recently that basically talked about what the Pacers' record is when Buddy's playing less minutes. And when Buddy's playing sub-30 minutes, the Pacers are actually a much better team. I wish I had that record in front of me, but it was that the 30-minute mark was the big key that when, the, when he's playing below 30, the Pacers' record is significantly higher. When it's above 30, they're not that great of a team. So 36 minutes tonight for Buddy Heald. I know he made some good defensive plays down the stretch, but it, it, it's just a matchup like Boston. It's just tough for Buddy Heald because Boston has so many different weapons but a few other things that, you know, you mentioned, I mean, some of the bigs, you know, for Turner, it, it, Turner ends up with 17 points. It, it, it was a tough game. It was tough. I mean, seven of 18 from the field. I feel like he was, he was missing a lot of threes, but one rebound in the first half, one, he ends the game with five. And, and even that kind of surprised me a little bit because he had about two, two rebounds, like kind of somewhat in the fourth quarter. And I was like, how is that happening? Because ironically, this this Boston team, they're no they're the number one rebounding team in the league, and the Pacers out rebounded them tonight. Indiana had fifty rebounds to Boston's forty, but I just felt like in the grand scheme of things, you know, Jalen Smith had four boards, Turner had five. I mean, that's something that you're not really uh, you needed a little bit more on that. And Indiana actually crushed them on the offensive glass, nineteen to seven. Mm. And maybe you could say, hey, maybe that's what kept them in the game a little bit. But I just feel like you couldn't have asked for a better rebounding type of performance, but. Boston was just, they were hitting shots, and Indiana, it's not that they weren't. It's just that, uh, you know, how are you going to beat a team when they go, you know, 47% from three? I mean, that's just really good, and that's what Boston shot tonight. I will say this about Turner. Like, one thing in this game that does make it difficult is having to play per, uh, perimeter defense on Kristaps Porzingis, pulling him away from the basket. So that does play a big factor, in my opinion, because they are so good at spacing the floor. That's why you see a guy like Neesmith get 12 rebounds because he's crashing from, you know, where he's guarding at. And if his guy drives or whatever, like, I just feel like, you know, Turner wasn't just sitting in the paint, grabbing boards left and right. Like it wasn't like he was just sitting in there and getting out rebound. there was a couple of no. times where he did. And it was just like, he just got himself out of position, didn't box out. Thankfully they called one offensive foul on Porzingis when he did get the put back at the very beginning of the game, miles did yeah, not box yep. out, but yeah, Porzingis he, did he came over right the over the top of him. Yeah, yeah exactly. That was yeah. uh it's good that we got that call. But but to me, I was more so disappointed with the shot selection by Miles Turner in this game. Seven of 18 from the floor, had 17 points on 18 shots. That's not great efficiency. There was some threes that I liked that he took in, in rhythm, but there was also some shots at the rim where I just felt like he was kind of forcing things and uh hate that he got blocked by Tatum there. I, I know he didn't have much time to get the shot off, so I wasn't I too mad about that. But I will say the one that I was a little bit surprised by, and this is actually a defensive play for Miles Turner, was when Jason Tatum drove to the basket and just kind of pushed Miles out of the way. The fact that Jason Tatum was just able to move Miles without any like resistance was a little bit frustrating to me. It's like I would I, I miss the days, not saying I'm looking for hard fouls, but I miss the days when guys put people on their butts, when they're coming at the rim, instead of just let like, oh, trying to play defense without fouling every single time, like Sometimes just knocking somebody down is a good wake-up call for everybody. Like, not saying no you got to sit there and be nasty, but, like, 
How many fouls are Miles finished with? Four fouls? Okay, make one of those fouls count. Put Tatum on his butt. He's getting to the rim at will against you, shooting like crazy. You know, let him know, like, all right, I- I'm here to be serious. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to encourage anything, like, negative, but it's similar to when, you know, Giannis kind of gave that chicken wing to Tyrese Halliburton the first That's game the back message. after the season tournament. Mm-hmm. He sends a message. He didn't care about the tech at that point, and I think the Pacers even missed that technical free throw. So you <sighs> yeah. just never know. I just think that sometimes if you can just send a message, Fachi, do it. That goes a long way, and I, I think that, yeah, that, that would have been great. I mean, the Pacers had some opportunities in this game. Towards the end of the game, I felt that, you know, uh, Andrew Nemhard's dribbling all around. I mean, he had an opportunity. He had a look at a three that I felt like he just didn't feel confident in. And I, I can't remember if he if he passed it to uh, maybe maybe it was, I don't know if it was Obi Toppin in the corner. Wh- whatever it was, it, it got blocked. Oh, uh, Aaron Neesmith got blocked by Derek White in the corner. I just feel like... Nemhard had an opportunity to put up a three. Does it go in? I don't know. But I just feel like I would have liked him to have the confidence to shoot that because the shot felt rushed by the time that Neesmith gets it. And I just felt like from there, the Pacers just were not able to convert. Boston made the plays they needed to make at the end of the game. I think Jason Tatum had two, you know, late blocks, you know, in the game. Or Derek White blocked it, a Neesmith uh, three, and Tatum blocked Turner's layup. And it was just, that felt like, what a championship team does to close out a team at home in Indiana. They're still, they made, I, I don't want to say they made a statement in this game, but they showed, Hey, look, this would be a very competitive playoff series. Do I want Boston in the playoffs? No, but we beat them twice and we played them good tonight when we weren't at full strength. It, it's worth something, but it ain't worth. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember that play specifically with Nimhard when he did dribble the ball out <laughs> quite a bit in that last possession there before uh, White did get the block on Neesmith. I, I feel like Nimhard, there was a play that it looked like they were trying to design it for somebody else, and it wasn't there. Boston's defense kind of read, like read what the Pacers were trying to do. So then Nimhard had to make something happen. And it looked like he was over dribbling. But if you look at what was on the court, I don't remember anything else being really open. Maybe you're trying to force it to Siakam and and let him kind of go one-on-one because he probably was your best one-on-one player there. But trusting trusting Nimhard against Drew Holiday, it's a really tough spot to be in. And yeah, he probably did dribble it a little bit too much. Finally kicked it out to Neesmith. But Neesmith had nothing else to do but shoot the three. And so when Derek White got the block and everyone's freaking out, like my first reaction was, Derek White had no other choice but to go all out and try to block that shot. 
So yeah, he got there and did it. Kudos to him. But what else was he supposed to do? Like, it's not like there was that much room there for Neesmith to get the shot off either. So no. yeah, it was a great defensive play, but like not one that I was like, Oh my God, like nobody else could have done that. I mean, that that's what he should have done. I, I mean, there was nowhere else for the Pacers to go. It was pretty easy to read. Like Neesmith probably could have pump faked and then shot it again, but he probably didn't realize that he had a little bit more time than, than with only like three seconds left on the shot clock. And then I thought the Pacers on that sideline or that uh, baseline out of bounds play should have went to Siakam there, but instead Nimhard forced it to Turner. Turner tries to shoot some fadeaway over Taylor. It was like he kind of went to like the side. Like I, it just didn't look like was, he had full like like looking at the rim type of thing. No. And, and it, it wasn't a good look. It was like he was close, running but, out. I'm just gonna exactly. throw a shot up here. But you know, it was just I mean it was a good defensive play there because they really read it, but I just felt like Nimhard kind of put Turner in a bad spot by making mm-hmm. that pass right there to him. So you know what? It's it's one of those things you live and you learn. And if Halliburton's inbounding the ball at the end of the game there instead of Nimhard, you know what? I, I think that Indiana probably has a better look at the basket. So not trying to hate on Nimhard at all. I think Nimhard played no. a pretty good game, especially considering all that he had to step up and do for this team in this game. But overall, I, I felt like we saw a lot of growth here from Pascal Siakam in terms of like how they can rely on him to be more of a scorer. I like that he was able to take Drew Holiday down in the paint. I like that he did the same thing to Chris Tops Porzingis, knowing he was in foul trouble and attacking him. The one thing I didn't like, and we can talk about this, I don't like to complain about officiating too much, but it, it, it seemed like the Celtics were getting away with a lot more than Indiana, and I'm sure that's how mm-hmm. the Celtics fans felt last time when the Pacers played them in Indiana. So maybe it's just a hometown thing, but some of those times, I mean, Drew Holiday swiping down at the ball, man. He gets a lot of arm, but I think he gets a lot of credit for or because of his defensive reputation that they let him get away with a lot more than I think is always clean. Yeah, I thought Neesmith also got fouled on one that they were, you know, going back and forth on. They said Tatum, you know, had a clean, did, didn't get, you know, his arm or anything like that. And Carl had to challenge a couple, you know, win a couple challenges. I felt like India had to really work for every call that they were getting in this game and, mm-hmm. you know, many that they did not. Uh, but for, for Siakam to finish this game, 23 points, six boards, you know, I don't think he needed to do too much passing when you had a guy like uh, Tyrese Halliburton out there who was able to get 10 assists. But, for Siakam, 16 shots. I know he has not been someone, you know, who needs to have 20-plus shots. But when you look at this, he had 16 shots. Neesmith had 17. Turner had 18. Halliburton played 22 minutes. He had 16. You know, and Nemhart had 13. Do you think they should have gone to Siakam a little bit more as he was a plus nine in this game? Yeah, I think they could have. I think he had a good a mismatch. But he also wasn't forcing a lot, which I liked. No. Like. He was really just taking shots that were there, and I thought that he played a really good, well-rounded game. So I wasn't mad about that. Obviously, Turner had some nice looks. It just he wasn't hitting that well. But I will say this, Siakam, 4-4 from the free throw line, that's an improvement for what we've seen from him over the last couple of games where he's seemed to miss some timely ones. Only Turner, only guy to miss any free throws in this game. He missed three. Pacers lose by five. And they also missed the goaltend call on Jalen Smith. When Kata shot that, when Kata blocked his shot, when the ball was clearly coming down, don't know how you missed that one. So you mean to tell me right there, there's a five point difference just in a, a few different things there. So that just kind of shows you how like close this game was a little difference here. Turner hits his free throws, you know, they call the goaltend or we don't turn the ball over here or whatever. It matters all in, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. But in terms of Siakam, thought he played excellent tonight and it showcased, and I know Reggie Miller talked about it on the broadcast, 
why he is a perfect fit, why they brought him in. You need a guy like this that just fits in seamlessly. And it really, to me, could be the difference in the Pacers being a first-round exit or winning a playoff series. Pascal Siakam is going to be that guy. Absolutely. And it's just been a handful of games so far. So let him continue to get used to his teammates. Let him continue to get used to playing with Halliburton. I, I think that that's something that they could. this duo could only be better together. Like I mentioned, Boston only has two losses at home, 22 and two. They are as good as it gets at home. So, you know, it's it's not an easy task for this Pacers team. And I, I do feel that if, if both teams were at full strength, both of them, you can make an argument that the Pacers win this game. That's even with Boston having, you know, Al Horford uh, back and Luke Cornett, you know, but I think the, the fact that you, you look at Matherin, McConnell, and then also just a couple more minutes for Halliburton, it makes me feel good. It, it does. I, I think that we didn't embarrass ourselves on national television by any means. The first half was getting embarrassing. I mean, I saw my, my mentions were filled with people saying, like, this is just background noise now, or I had to turn it off, or we can't stop anybody. You know, you started getting those negative comments that hadn't been there in a while. But uh, think of it this way. Boston scored 45 points in that second quarter. They ended up scoring just 57 in uh, 58 in the second half. So yeah. I felt that Indiana very much did tighten up defensively, and that that left me with with a bit of promise for sure. Yeah, and, and one thing we can always point out to too is like the bench strength of the Indiana Pacers. Like Boston had 16 points off the bench. Indiana had, I believe, it was 33. So mm-hmm. it just kind of shows you like if the, the Pacers bench was at full strength how much could that game have changed? And then Boston, what they do a good job of is trying to stagger those minutes with the starters and the bench players because they know their bench. Like, I, I was laughing when they were like, oh, they love their bench. I'm like, do they really? I mean, I would love my bench if Jason Tatum and Derek White were out there with them too, you know? Like, yeah. you've got two of your five starters out there at all times pretty much. I mean, and that's just the luxury of having such a deep team in terms of, like, overall, you know, you're starting five and then your six man probably is Al Horford on a, on a normal basis. So, I mean, they've just got six strong players. And when you get to the playoffs, like you're, you're seeing an eight man rotation. Yeah. You're going to see those guys for 40 plus minutes and it's going to be a battle. So, you know, I, I think that bench bench minutes matter, bench production matters, especially in the regular season in the playoffs, it's a little bit different, but I was just, you know, I, I wasn't too concerned about Boston's bench too much. I was actually like, no. okay, you know, Kata Pritchard, Hauser, like Hauser hit some threes. There's no doubt about it. They were timely threes too, but it was more so just the minutes of like, oh my God, we got to deal with, we got to deal with Tatum and White now that, now that they're with a bench group and and then Brown comes in for Tatum and Holiday comes in for White. It's like, you don't get a break. You don't. And so that's what makes this team so difficult. But just overall, in terms of like how this Pacers team played, like it just shows the fight. And Brian Toporek, the, the guest you had on last mm-hmm. week after the, the Sixers game, he even tweeted out, I want no part of playing the Pacers in the playoffs. Like it's going to be a grinded out series. They're going to give it everything they've got and they have the potential to beat you. And that's what is really awesome about this Pacers team this year is like, they just play a certain style and they're not going to back down from anything. And as Tyrese Halliburton continues to ascend, as Pascal Siakam continues to get his footing, the growth of Neesmith, you know, Turner just being a solid center that you need him to be. You've got a core four right there. Who's going to be that fifth guy on a consistent basis? And I think that could be the difference in what the Pacers do in the postseason versus what they, you know, don't do in the postseason. 
It's true. We got about a week left before the trade deadline. Anything could happen in terms of any moves, buyout candidates, anything could, could potentially happen for that fifth guy. You know, whoever it may be, we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, another, you know, not really a storyline, but something to point out. Isaiah Jackson did not log a second of playing time tonight. Pretty good against Memphis. I mean, what were your thoughts on uh, Ijax not getting in tonight? Yeah, I think it's just a tough matchup. I, it is. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Jalen Smith obviously has earned those minutes. Did not play good tonight. No doubt about it. Maybe they could have gone a little bit earlier to Ijax instead of Jalen Smith and just kind of wrote it out there. But, you know, Jalen's three-point shooting, I think, opens up the offense so much more. And mm -hmm. that's why I think they're riding with him a little bit more in this situation. I don't know what all I I I Jax would have brought to the table. I, I, I don't feel think like much. I mean, good player, but yeah, I don't think a difference I, I maker know. in this game. It's a it's a tough one there. I just you know Ben Shepard. I felt like really stepped up in the minutes he was given out there. I liked his defense. I really did. I thought he was hustling. And Reggie was giving him some love. He was. That was nice to see. I mean, yeah. last couple games, I just feel that people have been able to notice it. Like Ben Shepard's like defensive effort has been very, very noticeable. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's going to continue to get you minutes. So yeah. it's great to see. Yeah, so back to Ijax. I'm sorry, I'm kind of all over the place. Sorry. But I like I mean, I like Ijax, no doubt about it. But I wasn't surprised. And honestly, until you brought that up, I kind of forgot that he wasn't that he yeah. wasn't a, uh, that he wasn't on the injury report. Mm -hmm. I just thought, okay. I wondered maybe if Siakam got in foul trouble, if they would have gone double big or something like that. And I even wondered, too, if they might go – a little bit bigger with OB Siakam and, and Turner at some point, just to see if that would throw anything off. But I don't think you can really go too big with this team, specifically having so many wings that are so dynamic and scoring with Boston. It's just, it's tough, man. They are just so tough. It's a, uh, Really it's a miracle ending to beat them twice. And and unlucky us, we got to play them five times this year. I know. I, and it's just like the schedule. I mean, you play the Bucks five times and the Celtics five times. It's just crazy. But here's another thing. If I told you that the Pacers would have would out rebound Boston by 10, beat them on the offensive glass 19 to 7, have 33 assists and only seven turnovers, you would think that would be a win, wouldn't you? I mean, that is checking so many boxes. So it just showed that, yeah, the Pacers didn't play a perfect game. They played a bad first half. That first half bit them, but they did a lot of things right. Um, and I, I think that this was a game that the Pacers' largest lead was one, and they trailed by as many as 20. And the fact that we're saying they had a good shot, that says a lot. Indiana had 64 points in the paint to Boston's 44. Mm -hmm. A lot to like. Nonetheless, it is a loss, but I also don't think it's um, a lost opportunity. If you, if you want to put it as a lost opportunity that they were restrictive of Hal Burton's minutes. Yeah, you could pitch it that way, but like I can promise you come playoff time, it's not going to matter if we beat Boston in this game or not. We showed we can hang with Boston and when we're healthy, Hey, they're, they're they ain't going to want to see us. I can no. tell you that they will not want to run into the Indiana Pacers because that is a long night of work. And I'm also happy to be able to, you know, close out January. This was a successful January month for the Pacers in what it could have went a completely opposite direction with Halliburton getting hurt, missing the time that he did. Things could have fallen apart. And by no means 
as anything fall apart. This Indiana Pacers team at 27 and 21, it looks like they're here to stay. Yeah, I think Indiana, I think they went 10 and 7 this month, Flashy, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So three games above 500, and they played how many games without Halliburton? 10? Uh, quite a few. Yeah, so something like that. One five and five, six and five without Halliburton. That just, that just goes to show you, like, this team is really taking a step forward. I know Rick Carlisle has given his guys praise. You know, it's a different mindset this year. And then adding Pascal Siakam to the mix really does make it a little bit easier to go out and win some of those games. I mean, but you think about it. Without Halliburton, they were able to beat Sacramento. They were able to beat Phoenix, able to, able to beat Philly. Um, they beat Memphis. Atlanta, Washington, uh, Memphis. So, you know, some of those games they should have won. Some of those games they probably should have lost. Like, we talk yeah. about it, like, the game against Phoenix. I mean, the way they willed that one out at home. You know, if this game that they played in Boston's in Indiana, come on. I think we There's win. There's a good chance that crowd helps them pull that win out. Yeah. So, yeah. it's just on the road, tough environment, no Matherin, no McConnell, limited Halliburton. It's tough. It's it's a you put yourself in a tough spot and you still competed down to the wire and made this a game. No such thing as a moral victory, but I feel like if you're walking away from this game, you have to feel pretty good about how you've been playing. So, you you hate to lose the month, you know, the last game of January and, and head into February on a loss, but I think yeah, almost have to feel like this was somewhat of a win based on how you competed after getting down by 20 points in the first half. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I, I saw enough out of the patient. I saw fight. They didn't roll over and die. And those opportunities on, on uh, you know, TNT and all those big other, you know, national telev- televised networks, they don't come around often. They really don't. And I think that tonight, Indiana by no means, you know, flopped. I was getting some texts saying like, well, this is, this is a good game. And it was it was great to see that, you know, people were still, still watching mm-hmm. in the second half. So, that was great. Now, hey, they're closing out January on a on maybe a loss. I hope they can start February out with a win because, Alex, I will be in Madison Square Garden when the Pacers take on the Knicks. Uh. Another chance to end the curse. All right? It rides on this. And, and you know what? <laughs> I'm here for it. I, I, I wanted to end. I want the monkey off my back. And right now, this is the opportunity there will be other games that I have planned to see Indiana in person, but the next one is against a scorching hot Knicks team. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I think that Indiana is getting healthy at the right time. I do expect that hopefully McConnell is back by that game. Matherin, yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the toe, but I, I think that finally we've talked about it for a while. One guy in, one guy out. When are we going to see this full roster intact? I think it's coming. I think February is going to be that month. Bachi, for my yeah. sake and for the rest of Pacer Nation, please break the curse. I know. I need it. I need it. We all need it, not just you. I know. Because if it's you're going to just... be attending games and we're going to keep losing, I'm going to have to duct tape you to your house. I know. It's I'm not going to just... let you out the house. I mean, the game, the big game that I talked when we were playing Washington, I started uh, going around like, I'm like, so hey, I'm like, I was going around like, there's like this, this little curse thing going around that people are talking about. I was like, you don't got to worry about it. We're going to beat the Wizards tonight. And then it's like the way that game went, it was like, whoa, I started looking in the mirror like maybe it is me. But I do think it ends against the Knicks on Thursday. Madison Square Garden, it's going down. Curses are meant to be broken. Well, 
The Knicks have won eight in a row, Fachi. What something's getting snapped. All right. Either this curse or that winning streak, something's going down. Oh man. And I think the Knicks are on like this long home stretch here. They started out one game against the Jazz, and now they've got, I believe, one, two, three, four, five. And so they got six games at home, and the Pacers are gonna be there for two of them. Yep. So before the, Pacers, the trade deadline, right? Or no, before uh, the All-Star break. Exactly. So there's another game on February 10th. You're going to that Saturday. One? I, I have interest in going to that game. We'll we'll see what happens. We oh, will man. see. Uh the, these tickets from Madison Square Garden, they they ain't cheap. And I can tell you one thing, they get even more expensive on the weekends. So what happened uh, last that, time you were in the garden? Last time I was in the garden, the whole season went downhill. Uh Tyrese got hurt. Uh oh, the whole season literally went down in the blink of an eye it oh, was gosh. absolute it was so brutal okay so, there's a part of me that that like as i'm going in this game i almost feel like it's like groundhog day it's almost you know it's now it's february last time it was january but you know i still got a little bit of that that bad feeling of like come on come on fingers crossed let's let's make sure everybody makes it out in one piece jeremiah johnson chris Denary, mike preston if any of you guys are listening to this podcast and the pacers are starting to lose Please locate Fachi in the building, in the garden, and please escort him. I don't care how much the tickets cost. Make sure the Pacers pay him back for what he for what he spent. Get him out of the building so we can win the game. We cannot have this happen. Please keep an eye on Fachi because <laughs> he will be like the only Pacer in a sea of Knicks fans. So yeah, only Pacer so. fan in a, a sea of Knicks fans. So please, you three, I'm begging you, keep an eye on him. We gotta make sure the Pacers. Break the Knicks winning streak. Can't have Fachi holding us back. To make it a little bit worse, Tyrese got hurt against Washington when I was there earlier this year. And that was tough. He didn't return in that game. And, uh, mm. you know, that, that just made things a little bit worse. Because once that happened, it was like, maybe, maybe I should escort myself out. But I do think this time around will be different. I'm excited, guys. <laughs> I, 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 I do, but I'm also hoping that, that it's different. So I kind of need uh. this. I need this win. We're going on like like we've talked about. Actually, now technically that it is 2024, the streak is actually I think it's dating back to like it might be like 2019 or 2020 or it's probably because it depends. I don't remember what happened in 2020 COVID wise season. So like it's either like 2021 or it's like you know it, it's going on a few years technically. So it ain't good. Man, well this is a great way to end the podcast. The Pacers still are in sixth in the Eastern Conference. They are two and a half games ahead of the seventh place Miami Heat. And the way the standings are right now, Fachi, we would be playing the New York Knicks in a first-round playoff series. 3-6 matchup. The Knicks have jumped up to three as the Sixers fall down to four. But Philadelphia is playing Golden State as we are recording this, so that could change things. But we are recording this at 10.50 while that game is going on. So, Fachi, I think this is a great spot to end it here. Go ahead and let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at PacersPodSTP. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersPodSTP. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast where you can find all of our video content. But please... If you are listening to this on the audio platform, please give us a five-star rating and review. I said it last episode. I'm going to say it again. We want to get to 400 rating interviews. We're at around 327. So please, 
Tell your friends. Tell your family. Go get upset in the face. A five-star rating and review is only going to help more people find this awesome show that talks all things Pacers five to six days a week. So with that being said, Fachi, if you're hoping and praying and believing that you can break the curse on Thursday night, please hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers. Break the curse. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.